Welcome to the Elevate Your Event podcast, where we talk about how to plan and execute an unforgettable event that will dazzle your guests and generate more income for your organization. From fundraising and securing trendy auction items to event production and logistics, get the best tips and advice from seasoned fundraising and event professionals who have been in your shoes. Hey, welcome back to the Elevate Your Event podcast. And we have a special presentation we're going to do on this episode. We're going to replay a panel discussion that I was recently on for the NX Unite webinar series. And we had a great cast of moderators and and panelists on here talking about trends, lessons learned, how emerging technologies can play into your fundraising strategies in 2024. So we're going to play this. If you guys have any questions about this, again, reach out to us. If this is a podcast that you want to share, please do that. If you're liking the Elevate Your Van podcast, also please give us a five-star review. We're on Spotify, we're on Apple, and anywhere else that you might be listening to your podcast. So enjoy. Hello, everyone, and welcome to our panel. My name is Colleen Carroll, and I serve as the NX Unite lead here at Nexus Marketing and will be your moderator for today's panel session. Our topic today is planning ahead, preparing for the 2024 fundraising events. All right, to begin with the introductions, I'd first like to introduce AJ Steinberg, who is the founder of Queen Bee Fundraising. With over 20 years of experience as a nonprofit event producer and engagement strategist, AJ has worked on over 100 successful events and raised millions of dollars for organizations with her Los Angeles-based production company. In 2015, AJ launched Queen Bee Fundraising to share the art of nonprofit event planning, sponsorship acquisition, and engagement strategies with organizations worldwide. I'll move on to our next panelist, who is Jeff Porter. Jeff is the founder and CEO at Handbid. He's no stranger to fundraising events, having participated in them for over 25 years. He ran his first fundraiser in 2005 and has managed over 50 auction events and fundraisers for his own charities, not to mention hundreds more with Handbid. When it became clear that he and his wife, Carrie Porter, needed a better solution for their fundraisers, developing a mobile bidding app was a no-brainer. The result, Jeff and his wife, Carrie, developed and launched Handbid in 2011, and the rest is what they call history. Jeff, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, Thank you, Colleen, and a special thanks to Marriott Hotels, because my internet seems to be working, believe it or not. So... (laughs) <laughs> Fantastic. Thank you, Jeff. I know now we've lost Tasha, but AJ, nice to have you back. AJ's you back. Through your bio. Uh, hi, everybody. If I disappear, it's only for some reason we have wonky internet over here for today. I have no idea. <laughs> totally fine. Thanks for being here, AJ. All right. Also joining us is Jennifer Rubin. Jennifer is the Director of Client Services at 360 Philanthropy Group. She's a dynamic leader and an innovative development and marketing strategist with more than two decades supporting nonprofits in achieving financial and organizational growth through integrated marketing and communication strategy, fundraising campaigns, tactical partnership and positioning, donor cultivation, and overseeing team development and organizational infrastructure. Jennifer, thanks for being here. Thank you guys so much. It's really nice to be here. Thanks. Awesome. And finally, we have Tasha, who was here and is hopefully going to be back in just a minute. Tasha Anderson is the founder and CEO at the Charity CFO. She has dedicated her entire career to serving the nonprofit community, first as an auditor and then as a CFO board member, volunteer, and consultant. After witnessing the struggles of small nonprofits to find affordable and reliable financial support, or even just answers to their questions, she started the charity CFO to help organizations like yours get the help you need to grow and execute your mission. 
All right. We are going to jump in. I'm going to do some behind the scenes, try to figure out how we can get Tasha back on. But Jennifer, I'm going to have you start us off with our first. (laughs) Given the evolving landscape of donor engagement and philanthropy trends. Okay. I think I got most of that. I don't know if anybody else had a little bit of underwater audio issue or it was mine, but um, okay. Uh, So I may have some audio issues. Everybody else is having some issues. This is a really good segue into events, I think, and things that can potentially uh, be problematic that you have to troubleshoot. Um, But to start with the the question at hand, I have sort of a a macro and a micro way, I guess, to to kind of launch us um, from a macro perspective. Um, I try and encourage everybody to consider the following words, educate, inspire, engage, and activate, and to assure that everything that you're doing from an event perspective answers one of these questions or that you can um, launch into through one of those lenses so that you have a very direct impact on your audience and very clear objectives as to what you're trying to achieve organizationally, be that what everybody's ultimate goal is in terms of raising actual funds, or if it's just raising awareness or increasing the visibility of your organizational brand. Um, I think events should be very much uh, a part of a comprehensive strategic plan. One, ideally, where development and marketing and fundraising all play really nicely together, which I think is essential for a successful, not just a successful event, but successful strategic strategic implementation. so on, on a high level, those are sort of the things that I consider and go to and would encourage other people to consider and go to first. Uh, on a very much more specific level in kind of the landscape that we're navigating now as nonprofit professionals, uh, two things that are, are very important to me and that have come up and that I encourage my clients to think about. Um, one are, is understanding your donor audience and their evolution. Um, are we talking about mostly boomers? Are we talking about Gen X, Gen Y, Gen Z? A little bit of everybody. And what do they respond uh, most directly to? Because we're all different. Um, You know, we all come and approach um, whatever particular organization we have a a kinship with from a different perspective. So understanding what that motivation is and how to best reach um, and engage your audience, I think is key. And then I'll I'll wind down by saying also, I think it's really important to have a focus on sustainability, sort of walking the walk, regardless of whether or not that is part of your organizational ethos. Um, I think making sure that you're incorporating environmentally and socially conscious and responsible planning is going to make everybody feel uh, that you're a more transparent, more um, evolved and connected organization. Jennifer, really appreciate you starting us off. I could hear you loud and clear the whole time. I hope our other panelists could. I'm not sure what is in the water today. I feel like maybe we're getting too close to Halloween and it's getting spooky. Using this platform for over a year, never had a day quite like today. But anyway, thank you so much, Jennifer. Uh, Jeff, we're going to move over to you. What would you say are the key considerations for nonprofits when planning fundraising events in 2024, given the evolving landscape? Yeah, maybe we should start out by saying patience, especially with technology. (laughs) You know, no matter what we do, as you know, um, something is going to go wrong. It doesn't always have to be the technology. But, you know, one of the things that happens, especially when we're running events, is we just have to go with the flow sometimes and roll with the punches. Um, Okay, what 
you know, what I put down for this one, Colleen, is data. And I would say data, 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 right? I mean, we data, we can, if we have good, accurate, useful data, we can personalize an experience and we can make decisions off of that data. We can develop relationships with donors based on that information. So, I mean, and this goes beyond the basics, right? You got basics of, you know, I'm at an event and I'm, especially for somebody new to the organization, maybe a new guest coming in the door, I'm absolutely capturing, you know, name, email, address, phone number, but take it a step beyond that. Like what other information am I capturing about that person? Like in an auction, what did they bid on? Um, did they make a donation? Um, did they participate in any other activities at the event? How am I getting that data back into a donor management system and then using that for, you know, a comprehensive, you know, donor development plan. And, you know, and then you can go, you know, you can get predicted from that. So I'd say the kind of the step beyond that would be predictive analytics. So now how can I use that information to make predictions or decisions about maybe what auction items I put in my next auction or, you know, maybe, you know, who I reach out to or who I encourage or who I invite and, and whatnot. So <clears throat> I think it's, but it starts again with making sure that you have, if you're going to utilize this data, that not only do you have the technology that's going to allow you to capture it and store it and then use it for predictions, but that you have that as part of your attitude and your strategy as well. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Jeff. All right, AJ, over to you. Any key considerations for nonprofits when they're planning their fundraising events for 2024, given everything that's happening? I think that both what Jeff and Jennifer said was really salient is that, first of all, we have to be looking at the changing landscape of our generations because you can't keep doing the same events that you did for the generation that's now disappearing and expect it to resonate with the millennials and the Gen Zs. I think that what Jeff said is correct is that we need to really assess data as it comes in, but don't assess it two months before your event. You should be assessing it immediately after the event. I do a, something called a strategic event audit with my clients afterwards to really, you know, it's simple, it's done by staff, guests, by, by board members to kind of gauge the more human side of the data, but also what Jeff is saying too about the data. Building separate events for separate generations is what's gonna happen in the future. Meaning we will keep the gala as we have say goodbye to the greatest generation who has been the gala stalwarts. The next generation, the baby boomers still are gala, gala people. They can, you know, but right now we also have to build events that both millennials and Gen Z will want to attend and can afford to attend and that they will look at it and it will resonate with them. And that probably isn't even the same you know, you've got millennials are huge. You have young millennials on minute. But Gen Z, do not discount them. Right now, we have that great shift of generational wealth. And if you're not looking at millennials now to start that affinity building within your events and within your stewardship, you're not going to have them when they inherit the money. They'll already be snapped up by savvier nonprofits. Thank you so much, AJ. All right. As far as I can tell, we don't have Tasha back on yet, but I will bring this question back to her as soon as we get her back. In the meantime, um, AJ, I'm actually going to stick with you for this next question. What should nonprofits think about when developing a multi-year fundraising event plan with a goal of ensuring sustainable success over time? 
That's a great question. And to build a multi-year event plan, you have to include auditing your events as they happen to be able to keep on top of the shift as the demographic shifts. You will To do a multi-year plan, you have to understand that your demographics, your, your donor base and the guests, supporters will be shifting generationally and their wealth will shift. You know, also too, remember, we have a lot of volatility in the stock market. We have a lot of volatility with inheritance. So you have to keep your finger on the changes that are happening. So in a, a multi-year event plan should, of course, have your high net worth event, which would be a gala type thing. Your multi-year would also have the millennial and the Gen Z events included, perhaps a free community event. That's an awareness event just to kind of let people know you exist for marketing, but then assess to make sure that the people who you're inviting to each of those events is still in that bracket. Wonderful. Thank you so much, AJ. All right, Jennifer, over to you. What should our nonprofits be thinking about when they're thinking about a multi-year fundraising event? Sure. Um, I'll echo some of what AJ said um, and and take it into uh, diversifying your strategies. So I think that kind of encapsulates what what she um, what she touched on. Um, you know, everything from smaller, more targeted audience. And again, of course, you're taking into consideration your audience, right? Um, your events should be as diverse as your donor population currently is and the donor population that you're also planning for. Um, I think considering how to best incorporate uh, multi-year commitments when possible so that you are booking that revenue in advance. So it's not something that you have to stress about as you move closer to the event is also something to consider. Um, absolutely KPIs from past events. And I love what AJ said about, um, and she says it more in a, a much friendlier matter. I call it a postmortem. She calls it a, a you know, the, the audit, um, which is, is much, much friendlier. Um, but really talking with your board. Um, I do that after events. Welcome back. Hi. <laughs> you know, um, I think it's important to ask a question do we need to do this again next year? Um, I think sometimes we do things just because we've always done them and because it's formulated and it's easy to sort of plug and play. Um, sometimes I think a hard question to ask to engage board members is, you know, why do you support this event in the financial way that you do? And would you consider supporting something else in a similar way? You know, sometimes we're putting a lot of bandwidth and a lot of human capital to organizing, you know, all of the, the multitude of logistics that go into something as a larger scale event. Um, and somebody might be very willing to say, yeah, you know what, let's do this as an every other year thing and let's incorporate more smaller events, something more personal, more small dinners, um, more parlor type events. So I think it's having those conversations um, and uh, and considering not just the moment that you're in, but looking ahead two or three years to the best that you can. Thank you so much, Jennifer. Tasha, welcome back. Thank you for problem solving and making your way back here. If it's all right with you, I'll just, we only got through one question while you were gone. So I'll just get you to do both. Okay. Well, um, hopefully you all can hear me okay. Is that good? Okay. Lots of tech issues apparently today. So um, I don't know what I missed. So hopefully I'm not repeating myself. Um, but, you know, with the intro, I, I come from a little bit of a different background, I think, than some of the other panelists. I, um, I come from the accounting and financial side. So I'm the one kind of looking at the numbers like post event and 
and trying to make sense of all that. So for me, I think some of the key considerations really is just focusing on events that truly engage donors and having um, priorities for the event rather than just simply collecting dollars. And what do I mean by that? Finding new board members, finding community volunteers, um, really nurturing relationships, those sort of things, um, you know, developing sponsorship relationships, something much bigger than just simply have an event. Um, and with that, of course, um, understanding the expected ROI, I can't tell you how many times I, you know, hear ideas about a fundraising events, like, okay, but what's the budget, you know, <laughs> and are we expecting to actually raise money? And then measuring that once um, we're post event, like, did we actually raise as much as we thought? Do we think the ROI is really there taking into consideration, not just the actual cost, but the soft costs, mostly um, staff time and um, volunteer fatigue and, board members kind of pulling all of the people into that space, um, you know, does it make sense, I think, for what we're trying to do? So that's what I have. Thank you so much, Tasha. All right, yeah. Jeff, going to bring that question to over to you. What should nonprofits be thinking about when developing a multi-year fundraising event plan? Yeah, there's been some good answers here. I would just add in there kind of in a more general sense, just really understanding what the trends are like and being able to kind of not necessarily accurately predict that, but be willing to make some bets saying <clears throat> from a technology standpoint, this is what we see happening from our donor base. This is how we see them changing over that period of time um, from, you know, the economy. What, what do we expect or predict the economy might be doing um, and using that to start to kind of put together a multi-year plan where you can have contingencies in place as well saying, you know, look, <clears throat> if, for whatever reason, we feel like this event's going to be too expensive to pull off. Maybe we do it hybrid. Maybe we do it virtual. Maybe we change it entirely. You know, maybe we add a different type of event, you know, based on what we're seeing happening, you know, with our particular donor base. Maybe they're getting younger um, and they're not looking to do the black tie hotel rubber chicken gala. They want, you know, <clears throat> I don't know, like a, you know cornhole tournament or something like that you know or right now one of my organizations one of our clients is is inquiring to us about pickleball which i said i don't know i said like the older crowd likes pickleball younger better than the younger crowd but who knows i mean get some insurance for sure if you're going to have some older folks out there swinging a, a, a racket around but but anyway all of these things are coming back at us right and they're saying to us like we want to make these changes we feel like our donors are looking for something different and I think that's the type of thinking that's going to make you successful if you're just kind of bouncing those things around. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Jeff. All right, AJ, over to you. 2024 is approaching and fundraising events often require significant lead time. How do you suggest nonprofits balance long-term event planning with the need for agility in responding to unforeseen challenges? That's a really interesting question because, yes, you do need to have, I always say it takes nine months to make a baby and it takes nine months to make a gala. So I figure you've got to really plan in advance for that. In fact, and I'm sure that all the rest of the panelists will agree that the day you start planning your next gala is the day after you've had your gala which is when you are continuing the thank yous, the outreach. I asked my sponsors within a week to re-sponsor for the next one. So that obviously is long-term planning. You don't need nine months to put on a smaller event such as a comedy night, or if you're going to be doing a wine tasting, you could do something like that in two months. Here's the problem that, sure, it's nice to be agile and to kind of pivot quickly, 
but you don't want to be stepping on the toes of your other campaigns and other events. It's I'm a big believer in planning a year out what you're going to be doing, both with your communications, not both, but with all, with your communications, with your fundraising campaigns, and with your events, because it is all holistic. Every single one of them plays into the success of the others. Now, when we're seeing things like we're seeing right now, which is a crisis. There's we had Hawaii, and then we had Ukraine, Ukraine, and then Hawaii, and then with the fires, and now we have the war that's going on in the Middle East. Middle East. Those will come up, and you can do small events that are very quick, specifically for that. But please be mindful that when that happens, you could be cannibalizing some of the same donations that you'd be doing for your tried and true events. So that, that may not have been the most, um, oh, good. Jeff has a great podcast about that. Good. <laughs> good, Jeff. That's important to do. Um, yeah. And quite honestly, unforeseen things talk about pivoting. Um, COVID was a thing. COVID will be a thing in the again, or there will be a new pandemic. This is just with climate change and with the travel that we all do so that we do need to be really flexible and pivot like that. And I'm sure Jeff would like to talk about that. So that's my comment. Thank you so much, AJ. Tasha, I'm gonna actually bring this question next over to you. How do you suggest nonprofits balance long-term planning with the need for agility? Yeah, it, it's interesting. So I just served on a gala committee for a board that I sit on. We just had um, the event and you can plan all day long, but things will inevitably go wrong. And number one, pay attention to the lessons that we've learned last year. So resurrect that um, list back up um, to AJ's point. I agree that as soon as you get done uh, with one event, you start planning for the next one. Um, get plenty of lead time. I think so often we find ourselves kind of scrambling at the 11th hour trying to um, finalize a lot of the details. But along with that, um, for me, a big lesson learned with this uh, this event that we just put on, paying attention to those key processes and making sure that you've tested and retested those key processes. I'm mostly talking about things like registration, payment processing, um, what data are you trying to collect on these donors? Are your systems actually collecting that information? Um, you know, any of those key processes, maybe it's ticket sales online, doing lots of testing and retesting on some of those systems to make sure that, um, you know, you've, you've ironed out any of the wrinkles there. Thank you so much, Tasha. All right, Jeff, over to you. How do you suggest balancing long-term event planning when you needed agility? Agility. <laughs> yeah. One thing I would say is I don't know, AJ. I'm I am not planning the next year's event the day after my other one. I am in a set of like decompression for at least twenty-four to forty-eight hours, I would think. Um that's hardcore. But um anyway, I would say that, you know, for for us, um we used to do we had a blog post once and we have a podcast on this I mentioned, but you know, it's not, you know, if something you know, unforeseen or unexpected is going to happen at your event, but when, and how do you handle it? <clears throat> because no matter what event you go to, nothing tends to run perfectly. It, you still need to plan, um, but you also need to expect that there's going to be some unplanned situations that happen. I mean, the event I was at last night, the caterer showed up an hour late. There was a lot of hungry people wanting to eat. You know, I mean, what do you do about it? You know, we're like, you know, scratching our head. We go to the hotel next door. Do we buy them food? You know, what are we going to do? But anyway, we got through it, you know, and, you know, we were able to kind of 
working along. And, and then once people's bellies were full, they were much happier. Uh, but, you know, at that time, I mean, you just kind of have to work the problem. And so what I would suggest is definitely have contingency planning. You know, some things you can, can, you can plan for, some things you can't. If you are doing a golf tournament, there's really nothing else you can do if it rains. Okay. Or I've been to a golf tournament where it snowed. Okay. So those things are going to happen. There's no, you know, I guess you could move them indoors for golf, maybe do mini golf, but I don't think that's what most people expect. Um, but in other cases, maybe you do have a weather plan or maybe you do have a pandemic plan or, you know, and I would say definitely work with vendors who are willing to work with you. You know, people that are willing to be flexible. If you've got to make a last minute change that's unforeseen or something that's outside of your control, you don't want to be locked into these agreements and contracts with venues or technology companies, or whatever, that are unwilling to be flexible with you. So <clears throat> definitely make sure that when you're, you know, negotiating these agreements and contracts that you have, you know, some ability to to kind of wiggle things around if you need to. Um, and then what I would say, you know, kind of to wrap this up, two things. One, have somebody who's your problem solver and make that somebody who's good at problem solving. Um, don't put this on your shoulders if you're the event planner or if you're running this organization and you're the one that needs to be communicating with donors. Have somebody else responsible for dealing with the issues that are going to come up uh, because they are going to come up, you know, and then work them, have them just report back to you on how it's working, right? And the last thing I'll say is have a little bit of tolerance for things that are going to go wrong. You might get a sneer from a board member. You might get a sneer from a guest. They are there to support you. I would say in most cases, not all, trust me, we all have our experiences with certain types of guests and stuff. But in most cases, they're expecting you to be good at curing cancer and not running events, right? So just keep that in mind as you're kind of going through your thing that you know, you're, this is not your full-time job. If you hired an event planner and they screwed it all up, maybe, you know, you can deal with that in the following year. But, but as it pertains to you running your events, just give yourself a break. Thank you, Jeff. All right, Jennifer, over to you. How can we balance our long-term event planning with the need for agility? Uh, I'm going to start and tie, I think what everybody has referenced with, uh, something anecdotal, um, my first, uh, my first gala, I served as an intern, and it was for a very big, prominent uh, performing arts organization. And I was very eager to learn. And my mentor pulled me aside, and she said, "Listen, I just want you to know there are three things that go wrong with every event." And I was, I said, "Yeah, what are they?" And she goes, "I have no blessed idea, but you have to be prepared for absolutely anything and everything because I promise you, something's coming up." And honestly, it's some of the best advice I've ever gotten. And I, I share that with anybody that I work with because of exactly that. The more that you've planned for every possible scenario, and of course, that's not probable, but the more um, the more that you can confidently call to for your backup plans, for your contingency, for the right people to pull in at the right time, to, to be able in a moment's notice to make those important pivots so that nobody ever does. Most of the time, nobody knows that anything's gone wrong. You know that it's gone wrong or you're, you know, having a, an internal freak out. But most of the time, everybody else is just, you know, involved in their own world and they don't really see it. And that's also part of it. It's a bit of a performance art too to make sure that all of the, you know, they say like how ducks swim, everything that's going on is happening underneath the water and that what you see on top is, is clear and smooth. Um, I would say it, the best way to support that 
um, is, is I, I'll go back to what, what AJ kicked us off with. Um, and I think building a foundational event framework and having that be very holistic, having that be baked into uh, your fundraising and your Marcom strategy, which I believe the only way to approach is in a fully integrated manner. I, I think you can't conceptualize those things in silos. And that's when things do, do start to break down and details do start to break down. The more overlap and the more integration that you have throughout the organization, I think the better position that it puts you in. And the more people within the organization that understand why we're all doing what we're doing, um, I think then you can call on those people in emergency situations to come in. Everyone can kind of pitch in as, as needed. Um, yeah, so I think I think well conceptualized planning. Um, you're always going to have a moment where something comes up. There's always going to be, unfortunately, something that calls our attention and um, and takes precedence over what we were doing. But if you have those those sort of foundational points baked into your plans, you can have an emergency campaign. You can have a small event that comes uh, to fruition and you're still going to have your stakes in the ground for all of the other key objectives that you need to meet. Thank you so much, Jennifer. All right. Uh, Tasha, I'm going to have you start us off with our next one. How can nonprofit leaders effectively incorporate board members' ideas and suggestions into planning processes without losing sight of the event's primary goals, objectives, or what needs to happen? Uh, yeah, good question. I think first and foremost, use caution when having just too many cooks in the kitchen. <laughs> Depending on how large your board is and asking for all of their ideas, um, I don't know, is necessarily always beneficial. So I would say pretty simply have some sort of event committee, invite a couple board members to participate in that committee you know, allow them to share their ideas in that way, have a debrief, you know, post the event to discuss some lessons learned, incorporate ideas for next year. Um, but I think first and foremost, being really clear um, about the event, what your primary goals are, right? What are your primary goals? What are you trying to do? Um, make that known to all of the board members. And then also, especially those that are on the committee, um, that might help guide some of their advice or ideas, but be cautious. That's all I would say <laughs> as a board member myself. Thank you so much, Tasha. Jennifer, over to you. How can we make sure we're incorporating board members' ideas without getting overwhelmed by them? This is a tricky one, I think, for most of us. Um, you know, everybody uh, wants to to plan an event or help throw a party, and then they rarely have a comprehensive understanding of the level of complexity and detail and logistics that are involved. Um, I think it's really important that the organization, whoever is responsible for managing the event, also holds a very strong relationship and manages the narrative and the relationship with the board. Um, I think to echo what Tasha said, you know, managing those expectations and also being very transparent with your board. I think we feel an obligation sometimes to take into consideration every idea is a good idea and that's not the case and it gets us in the weeds and then it's very difficult to backpedal and sort of undo what you've promised somebody uh, they're going to see their own personal reflection in the event um, and it becomes a little bit sticky. So I think managing expectations, I think transparency. Um, I'm a big fan of saying help is only help when it's helpful. <laughs> Uh, and so making sure that you outline and clearly identify what that is and uh, to your to your board. Um, and I think 
to that end, I think uh, encouraging and putting into place a strong feedback loop so that they have constructive channels um, of communication so that they can share thoughts and ideas. Not everyone is a winner, not everyone gets a trophy, um, but it's important that they also feel validated and heard. Um, you want to promote engagement. You want everybody to feel that they're being listened to. Um, and um, yeah, I think, I think it's also a great idea. I'm not a huge fan of committees, to be honest with you, but I think if the event warrants um, having a few dedicated people, a few members of those board who will support you, who understand to always bring it back to the objectives that the napkins are really not that important, whatever their color or texture might be, we're going to figure that out. But bringing it back to the essentials of the impact that we're creating as an organization and what our key organizational objectives are and just making sure that everybody has a very clear focus and feels like they have a voice in helping achieve those goals. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Jennifer. Quickly, I want to let our audience know that we have had a poll go live where we've asked you all, have you ever, ever had to navigate board ideas that conflict with the goals or focus of your event? If you'd like to let us know kind of where you're coming to this conversation from, please feel free to go fill out that poll. All right, Jeff, over to you. How can we handle board member ideas? Well, first of all, thank all of you for dealing with board members. I am one. Um, so I've sat in that role. And so I just apologize in advance if I've given you an idea and told you it was a great idea and asked you to implement it. So, um, and I've also been on the other side of that, running an organization, dealing with board members. And I've also been the guy that the organization blames um, when we implement something at an event. Uh, that uh, that a particular board member doesn't like. So I've seen all sides of this. I understand that it's tough. I mean, politically tough. To, in a, here's what I would recommend. I would recommend that you try to get the board member in particular focused on the objectives of the organization and not any of the tactics, if you can do that. So what is this event? Is this a donor, you know, kind of relationship building event? Is this just a pure fundraising event? Are we trying to maximize revenue? We're we trying to create this amazing experience for our existing, you know, kind of key donors. Um, if, if you kind of keep them at that level, um, then I think that will help because you can then try to get them not focused on, hey, you should, you know, hire this vendor or you should implement this tool or you should, you know, use this venue or you should, you know, use this theme or and all the other kind of stuff. Hey, you know what? <clears throat> We're just focused on you know, let's let's kind of brainstorm on what what metrics and kind of results are you looking for out of this particular event, and I'll report back on what those are going to be. Um, and I, Jennifer, I love your point. I don't know if you were actually making this point, but I love the idea of possibly using your event planner as the cop, you know, as the person that can sit in front of your board and say no, right? So, so it doesn't always have to be you because I know that can be tough, you know, for a lot of executive staff, you know, an executive director or any of their staff to be able to kind of stand up to board members. So anyway, I love that idea too. Thank you, Jeff. All right, AJ, final thoughts on how we can incorporate board member ideas without getting overwhelmed by them. Well, I, I have to work with boards because I go, all my different clients have boards. I love committees because committees are assets. They help get auction items. They help to sell tickets. They help to market the event. They become more meaningfully involved. But I will give you my secret sauce for how I deal with bad ideas for board members. I call it praise, delay, distract. You can use it with also children and husbands and colleagues. So basically what you do is when somebody comes up with an idea, 
and it's a bad idea, like we know it's a bad idea, you can't really shoot it down without making that person feel demeaned or lesser than. And that's the danger. Board members, big donors usually. Committee members, big donors. So I always like to let them know I've heard the idea. I always say, by praising, I say, that's a fascinating idea, or that's an interesting idea, or unique idea. Never say that's a good idea. Then you delay the decision-making. You take it out of your hand. You say, you know, I'm not sure that that is going to be according to our bylaws, or I'm not sure the hotel allows us to bring ducks in to sit on the tables. But then you distract them and say, in the meantime, let's look at the other options that we've discussed, and I'll get back to you later. So praise, meaning acknowledge it, delay, and distract. Wonderful. Thank you so much, AJ. Now I know what my wife's been doing all these years, AJ. <laughs> Incredible. All right. Checking in on that poll, we asked you all, have you ever had to navigate board ideas that conflict with the goals of your event? 67% of you said occasionally we deal with this. 17% said this has come up, but infrequently. And 17% said never. And exactly zero said happens all the time, which I feel like is a really great sign. You all have great boards. Glad to hear it. All right. Um, I have one final question that I had prepared for our panelists, and then we've had some really wonderful audience questions come in. So I am going to ask that this final question, we have a little bit of a speed round where we try to go pretty fast through it so we can get through as many audience questions as we possibly can. Jeff, I'm going to have you start us off. What role does data analytics and donor insights play in long-term planning processes for fundraising events? Oh, good. Yeah. And I mentioned this earlier, right? I mean, to me, the data is what is going to allow you to personalize your events. It's going to allow you to um, connect with your donors, start to build a relationship with them. It's also going to allow you to analyze and understand what parts of your event are working. So I know, you know, we talked, I think Tasha was talking about ROI. ROI is important and ROI is not a, it's, it's not a complicated term and it's not a bad word. ROI just means, am I actually getting a positive return on what I invest? Fundraising is not a cost center. Fundraising is a profit center. You are investing, whether it be in technology or, you know, event staff or whoever it might be, you are investing in creating an experience that's going to get your donors connected to your organization and giving you money. Okay. And so there needs to be a payoff for that. Every idea you try, you need to understand, did it generate the quote, you know, quote unquote revenue that I was looking for? Okay. And I think in the future, what you're going to find as scary as it may feel right now is that artificial intelligence is going to help you with that. I'm not fully convinced that the data is accurate enough to be helpful, but it's going to be. There's no doubt about it. You are going to know who in the room through AI is more likely to donate um, you're going to know who's more likely to give you 10,000 versus 1,000. You're going to know what types of items they're going to want in their auction. Um, all of that stuff is coming. If you just kind of be patient a little bit, that's the type of stuff that's going to drive, you know, I would say for you guys, way more effective events and a way higher return. Thank you so much, Jeff. Tasha, over to you. Thoughts on the role of data analytics and donor info insights into long-term planning. Yeah, I, I can't tell you, I, I've worked with, I don't know, several hundred, if not thousands of nonprofits over the years. And I very, very rarely see really robust analysis on the data that we collect. And I think we collect a lot of good information. I don't know if we've necessarily done anything great with it. And many of the clients that I've worked with or boards that I've served, 
Um, just even getting basic information on like, what is the breakdown between sponsorships and ticket sales and those sort of things. So looking into software solutions that allow you to collect meaningful data, think about ahead of time, what data you might want to collect. Uh, and the reality is the for-profit world has been doing this all the time, right? There's so much data collected on us as end users of you know, products or software solutions or purchases that we've made. Uh, it's amazing the the targeted emails I get just simply by visiting a website. And so there, um, to Jeff's point, there's a lot of AI out there. Um, and I think it's going to continue to be um, something that we should measure. And, and, and I always say, what you measure, you pay attention to. And so how can we make use of this data to make more informed decisions, um, to optimize our event strategies, um, make sense of who's attending our events. What do they like? What do they not like? What should we be doing more of? Just asking ourselves all of the hard questions uh, because we have the data in front of us. We just need to find a way to pull that data down and make sense of it. Um, so I think it's it's definitely going to be something we're going to see more and more in the future. Thank you, Tasha. All right, AJ, over to you. The role of data analytics. I'm big on that. I have to do the you know the strategic event audit, but also. Data analytics is a very important part, but also keeping your eyes open during your events, because when you start really standing there and observing the interpersonal connections that are made between your board members and a new guest, that's when you really can start stewardship with new guests is because you see or expand the stewardship potential with existing. Thank you, AJ. Jennifer, any final thoughts on the role of data analytics or donor insights? Um, you know, I'll echo what everybody else has already said. It's really important. It's only going to become more integral to what we're doing. And to what Tasha said, all the, the answers are there. We need to understand how to best leverage the information. Um, I think reverse engineering and kind of trying to, to work backwards and figure out what's the most important from the information that we have access to. What does that give us? How does that help us to elevate our next event? How does that roll into the, stra the our strategic plan? Um, and then kind of working backwards and thinking about how do we best how do we best utilize that and understand what we have in front of us? Um, I, I think quickly, you know, most of the nonprofits that I've worked for and with um, don't even understand their own CRM tools and understanding their capabilities and what they have access to. And it's a very easy, accessible place to start, but making sure that you have somebody within the organization that has can pull a report, can pull it 12 different ways, can understand how to segment the audience and the information that you have, go for the low-hanging fruit, understand what you already have access to, and then you can build upon that as you segment out, as you leverage that to make more targeted events and more personalized experience for, for your donor base and for encouraging new donors to support. Thank you so much, Jennifer. We're going to officially move over to some audience questions. There was one that was very popular. It got plus one in the chat. So AJ, I'm going to have you start us off. Any fun ideas for millennial or Gen Z focused events to get ahead of that generational wealth shift? And someone in the chat said something that's not just another concert idea. Yeah, <laughs> yeah those, those happen a lot. And Jeff also put a link to his uh, podcast, I believe, or webcast in there that had some great ideas, I believe, in it. So good for Jeff doing that. Uh, I find that things like beer, like beer, happy hours, wine tastings, beer tastings, doing things that are meaningful. So lots of times we'll have actual hands-on community service opportunities for those generations. That 
they're doing things together with our organization. And then they start to see that they're having an impact. They like to see impact. So anything that's fun and entertaining, but anything that you can do that can give them impact is even better. Wonderful. Thank you so much, AJ. Uh, Tasha, any ideas for Gen Z and millennial events that you think would be particularly great for our nonprofit audience? Well, dare I say that I'm actually a millennial, barely, but <laughs> so I'll say, you know, um, I, I think a couple things. I mean, it just depends, right? Are you trying to um, create um, just more engagement with a younger population? Are you trying to raise money? Uh, you know, wh wh again, going kind of back to the question of what are you trying to do? Um, are you trying to build a pipeline of future donors or board members? Um, so that might engagement piece might be looked something differently. But I'll tell you, maybe I'm a little biased because um, I get invited to a lot of different events. But, you know, I think just having an event that is different than what you would expect. Um, there's one event um, here in St. Louis that that I love. It's um, it's kind of a mystery pop-up dinner. People dress up, they decorate their tables. It's kind of a, a gala en blanc, you know, where... Um, you know, you come out and you have picnic tables, very low cost, but picnic tables, it's kind of a pop-up. It's a big mystery. Everybody dresses in white. It's kind of over the top. Um, and that's a, an event that I've never been to before. And then on the flip side, I have another client that does this thing called the non-event, right? And I think I read some statistic. I tried uh, scrambling for, for that link where it says most millennials give because they're asked to give, right? And so how do you create space for maybe not necessarily an event, but like one of my clients, they have this thing called the non-event and it's truly an invitation. It's in a nice envelope. They have different committee members, a host committee, um, and they send out an invitation, which is really just a personal invitation to donate to a cause. And there's usually a handwritten note why this is important to them. There's not an actual event, but it's basically, hey, in lieu of you spending a lot of money on a fancy outfit, coming to another dinner that you don't really want to come to anyway, this is a really important cause for me. Would you consider supporting? So as um, an individual, I could get you know 20 of these different invitations, send them out, and just ask my friends to consider contributing. So that's kind of a different spin on a, an event, um, and they raise hundreds of thousands of dollars. And so it's great. They just keep adding more and more people to this host committee, uh, which is amazing because they're building a really robust database of maybe potential donors in the future. So those are a little bit of outside of the box that I don't know if you all have heard of something like that before. So I'm all for events that just don't look like all of the other events. Um, so any way you can differentiate yourself in that way. Thank you, Tasha. Anyone else want to jump in here with the Gen Z millennial events? Jeff? Yeah. So uh, Tasha, we actually had some clients that did that and I think it was very successful for them. And it was kind of cool because it was like, you know, Cost of the year Uber, 75 bucks, right? Cost of the babysitter, $100, right? Cost of the dress that you're only going to wear once. It was it was kind of funny how they did it, right? Saving you from having to eat the chicken with the you know mashed potatoes and the green beans, right? You know, so <clears throat> I thought it was kind of a cool idea. So I think that's definitely one. What I put in the chat was, I think a lot of times we overthink this. I would just go ask Gen Zs and millennials what they think. And I would say, you know, I've got one daughter in college in the sorority. Every sorority I know in every fraternity, most of them at least have some sort of charity they're connected with. And even if you can't become that charity, because sometimes you can, if they have a national relationship, just go see what they do. Just go see what kind of fundraisers they all are fundraising constantly. And the irony is they're not running galas, right? So maybe their national chapters running a gala or a conference or something like that. But in a lot of cases, like, you know, where my daughter goes to school, they just did a fall follies, like dance event, 
know to raise money. So you'll find plenty of ideas. Just kind of dig around and you'll you'll see kind of what's out there. Thank you, Jeff. Jennifer, any final thoughts on the Gen Z millennial? Uh, again, somebody find some millennials and some Gen Z. I think they're going to tell you what they want. I think meeting, I think as a general rule, understanding your audience and meeting them where they are instead of telling them what you're offering them um, is just a you know, a a methodology to kind of subscribe to. I think that carries us all very far um, beyond events and in just all of the work that we're, that we're doing. Thank you, Jennifer. All right. Unbelievably, we are almost at the end of our hour. So I do have to have us start wrapping up. I know we did not get to all the questions. I have seen all the amazing questions come in. I will be passing them over to our panelists so they know that you have those questions and can reach out with them. But we are also going to send a survey in the chat where we're asking you if you have any lingering questions and if you need to be connected with anyone to answer them. So even if you didn't submit a question, but you just have one in your head that you're looking for an answer, uh, let us know in the survey. We will connect you with someone who can answer that question. We want you to leave this panel with your questions answered. All right. I have my final question for all of our panelists to wrap us up for today. It is a little bit of a big and broad question. It is my favorite way to end panel sessions. So for panelists who have been on before, you know what is coming. Um, Jeff, over to you. I'm going to have you start us off. What do you see as the future for nonprofit events and how can nonprofits get ahead today? Well, I think what you're going to see is you're going to see a trend towards other types of events, not kind of the classic galas, right? Just because I think generationally, I, I think we all agree on the panel, or at least most of us do, that that's going to change. So you're going to see uh, hybrid events. You're going to see events that are like more of a micro focus. Um, you're going to see a lot more technology. I know for some of us, we feel like maybe there's too much technology at some of these events. Um, but that's going to continue because people like the convenience of participating however, wherever, whenever they want. Um, and I think also, and, and this is going to seem a little impersonal, but I just, I don't know why. I just kind of feel like society's kind of taking us this way that you're going to see more self-service types of engagements at events where you don't have a big check-in staff checking in all these people at the door. They're going to come in. Maybe they check themselves in if they want to bid in the auction. Maybe they grab their own paddle number. And really kind of really, you know, you can still greet them at the door, but you're not having to kind of interview them. They can kind of handle it themselves. And that might be even before they arrive. Maybe they're doing all this on their phones before they arrive. But I just kind of feel like people want to kind of do things in their own pace and their own style. And I think a lot of times what you see at these events is people walk in the door and you funnel them into a Disney line and you try to get them into the door as quickly as possible. And I think people just, you know what, I'll, I want to do that. I also want to drink and I want to chat with my friends and do all these other things at the same time. So I think that that will continue to evolve as the technology gets better. Thank you so much, Jeff. Jennifer, over to you. Thoughts on the future for nonprofit events and how we can get ahead today. Yep. I mean, I think I think COVID taught us very quickly that there's more than one way to do something. And I think uh, it opened up a lot of opportunities. I think there was a lot of very quick pivots, obviously, to online. Look at where we all are from all different parts of the world currently or country currently. Um, I think embracing those possibilities, embracing the technology um, and incorporating a hybrid approach so that you have some opportunities for in-person, some community-driven events, um, and that you also welcome the opportunity to do things online. Some people are more comfortable with that now anyway. And there's ways to utilize AI. There's ways to utilize um, all sorts of different technologies to, I, I worked for um, 
a, a university that was in a different country? How do we build that bridge and get people there? Because if they can only come once a year, what are we doing? You bring them on a virtual tour. You build a day that's sort of an orientation where if they want to come, we'll figure out one time a year to do that. and We'll do something very mission driven. But if you want to support that several times throughout the year um, and, and continue your messaging, let's offer opportunities that they can come and visit and engage or do things in a different way online um, or by incorporating a digital aspect to it. Um, so I think um, I think embracing and continuing on with with AI and technologies and encouraging a, a dichotomy of both in what we're doing um, is going to be something that we're going to be seeing for a long time. Thank you so much, Jennifer. All right, Tasha, over to you. What do you see as the future of nonprofit events, and how do we get there faster? Yeah. I the truth is who knows, but, um, my, my thought is really just, uh, I see so many organizations struggle with this idea of events. Um, I know many fundraising professionals that struggle, um, with whether events make sense when you add all the soft costs into it. I see staff, they're a little disgruntled about how much time and investment it takes. And what I've seen so many times, well, we just have to do the event because the board expects us to, or we don't have a good argument for how we're going to replace that income. And I just think maybe not necessarily three years from now, but eventually we're going to get to a place where online giving is going to be so much more robust and we're able to tap into younger groups that maybe give online or give more regularly. Um, and, and I'm just wondering if more and more organizations are going to do away with the events in the way that we think of them now. So maybe the events shift more to kind of an engagement. Um, maybe there's a purpose, maybe there's a celebration, maybe it's more of an awareness of the programming rather than simply, you know, the funded needs and the, you know, Hey, we must give, sell the tickets and that sort of thing. Um, I just, I, I'm envisioning a world where we get a little bit more creative through technology on how to raise money all year long. And for some of my organizations, it relies so heavily on just like one event. It's make it or break it. Um, hopefully they, they start to diversify some of that a little bit. So but who's, who's to say. Thank you, Tasha. All right, AJ, final thoughts on those nonprofit events and their future. Uh, well, I'd like to say to Tasha that most fundraising is done online now. There's a, I think it was like 80 something percent of fundraising is online. Yes, AI is already here, but I will tell you that fundraising events should never just be about raising funds. It should always be a celebration of the supporters. It's always donor centric. It's always about look what you've done and together we can do so much more. That human touch will never be replaced by AI or by online fundraising. I will also tell you that through all, I, I have had this driven home by an event I did last week that this organization respected its volunteers and respected its staff and respected its vendors. When you see their volunteers who were students at their college, they had honored guests written on their name tags. And I thought, what a step towards making that. I got chills just thinking about it. What a step towards making these alumni when they're alumni to be donors and supporters of this organization. So I think when I see staffs that are mean to each other and mean to their vendors, I'm just telling you it colors your events. Kindness. That's the future. Kindness toward your staff, respect toward your staff, your vendors, your volunteers, and respecting your guests' time by celebrating them. 
Wonderful. Thank you so much, AJ. With that, we have reached the end of our panel. I want to give a huge thank you to our panelists for being here with us today. It's been a wonderful conversation and you fought through those technical difficulties. I really appreciated it because it was tons of fun. So thank you to our panelists. I know if we were in person, there'd be a round of applause. So just know I'm sharing that emotionally with you all today. Another huge thank you to our audience. Thank you to those of you attending live as well as those watching the recording. Really appreciated seeing all the fun things happening in the chat, seeing the little emojis pop up. Thank you for being here. Um, Hope you'll join us for future NX Unite events. We have a packed fall, winter. We're even starting to plan spring of events related to NX Unite. So keep your eye out for more sessions on fundraising events, other fundraising topics, marketing, generosity, gratitude, and more. NX Unite website is the place to find all of that. So hope you will join us. All right, that is it for me and we have hit time. Thank you to all the panelists. Bye everyone. Mm -hmm.